Welcome to the Schwartz on Sports podcast, hosted by Noah Schwartz. Hey everyone, welcome back to Schwartz on Sports, brought to you by the Belly Up Sports Podcast Network. Episode 3 of the show today, I'm your host Noah. A lot to talk about. We're going to start with our Describe 5, as we do every single week, pick 5 NFL games from this weekend and talk about them. Then I'm going to interview Jackson Roberts. He is a sports reporter and host in Fargo, North Dakota, also an Ithaca College graduate, a recent graduate there. And then I'm going to talk about what has gone wrong for the Houston Rockets over the last 24 hours or so. A rough day if you were a Houston Rockets fan. A lot has gone on there. A lot of sports I can't even talk about much more than just right now in the introduction. we got the Masters starting today. That's going to be fun. The NBA drafts in a week from now, NBA free agency coming up soon, the big Steve Cohen press conference with the Mets as the new owner this week. So a lot that I could talk about, but I just can't get into it all. So let's begin with Describe 5 for this week. A lot of good games on the slate, and I'm going to start with the Chargers and Dolphins, the 2-6 and six LA Chargers and the 5-3 and three Dolphins, a late window game on CBS this weekend. Cross-country flight for the Chargers, I'll start with that, always tough for teams to travel. But I do love this matchup. you got the two rookie quarterbacks, both guys playing at an extremely high level early into their careers. Herbert started since the since week two, has played extremely well. Tua about to make his third start. And for Herbert, he's just played at such a high level. Five straight games with multiple touchdowns, five per, just five picks in his entire career so far, and nearly completing 70% of his passes. He's been so efficient. Coming in as a starting quarterback, so, shown so much poise and has really seemed to connect with his new receivers in uh, in L.A. And then for Tua, I'm done doubting the Miami Dolphins and I'm done doubting Tua Tagovailoa. To me, this team was just a little, little short of the playoffs this year. I thought they were a year away with Brian Flores. But with four straight wins, including the way they played last week, beating the playoff-bound, most likely playoff-bound Arizona Cardinals, I was extremely impressed. Tua played great, two touchdowns. Over 200 yards passing, he got it done with his legs also, and just outplayed and outclassed Kyler Murray, and I was just extremely impressed with it. Now, it is good that he hasn't had to do a whole lot in his first two weeks. Last week did more than the first week, but in uh, in his first start against the Rams, they, had a, they, they scored a special teams touchdown, and then in both games, they've scored defensive touchdowns on scoop and scores. So that has definitely helped out, allowed Tua to sort of ease into his new role as a starter. But when you have a top-five defense good receivers and a quarterback that seems to be blossoming. I'm just it's hard to pick against you especially when you're up against a team that's 2 and 6. So I'm I'm done picking against Miami. They're going to make the playoffs I think and I'm going to pick them. 6 and 3 Bucks at the 3 and 6 Panthers in a late window game. Bucks played awful last week as I bet many of you saw. Sunday night against the Saints, a chance to take the lead in the division and they just fell apart. Lost 38 to 3, were down 31 nothing at the half. It was not only the worst game of the season for Tampa by far, but it was also likely the worst game of Tom Brady's career. Was inefficient, didn't make a lot of accurate throws, threw three interceptions also. I just didn't like what I saw from him. Nobody did. And uh, the Buccaneers just just totally fell apart as a result. And then if you're the, if you're a Panthers fan, you've got to feel better than, than the Buccaneers do today, but at the same time, still upset that you didn't win last week. Lost to Kansas City on a last-second missed field goal. Uh, it was a 60-something yarder, and they didn't make it. And uh, so now they fell to 3-6. and six. But the fact that they lost to Kansas City by two points and had a chance to win the game on a last-second field goal, 
I was very impressed with that. Uh, so good job by Teddy Bridgewater. Unfortunately, they don't have Christian McCaffrey again this week. He was out for the vast majority of the season, then came back against Kansas City and hurt himself on the final drive. Got a shoulder issue, so he's going to miss this week. Hopefully he comes back after that. But Mike Davis will be a starting running back once again, you would have to assume. And if you're the Saints, you've got to have as much confidence as you've had at any point this entire season. Now at full control of the division, uh, but but the Bucks need to keep pace in the wild card. Tom Brady, in the previous seven games prior to last week, 18 touchdowns and two picks, so they still have to feel like they can keep pace in the wild card, and possibly if the Saints uh, fall off a little bit, I don't think they will, but if they do, catch them in the division, come back and uh, take first place there. So I think it's going to be a close game. I'm going to pick Tampa. I just think Brady will rebound and get back to the level he was playing at previously because it was a very high level in the MVP race, but last week was a disaster. 7-2 Bills at the 5-3 Arizona Cardinals, a late window game. Another game where the road team flies, so Buffalo has to go all the way to Arizona. That's a far trip. And if you're the Bills, if you're a Bills fan, you've got to feel as good as you as you have all season about where your team is. Won a crazy game last week against Seattle. I'm going to get more into the Seahawks in a minute. But they had four takeaways last week, Buffalo did. Won the turnover battle 4 nothing, And so they were able to beat... The Seahawks, 44-34. The offense was fantastic. Josh Allen had maybe the best game of his career. Over 400 yards and three touchdowns. Completed over 80% of his passes. And so that that's where the Bills are right now. But if you're a Cardinals fan, you've got to look at this as a revenge game. And Kyler Murray played well last week, but got outplayed by Tua as a rookie. So that wasn't great. And then DeAndre Hopkins is coming off his worst game of the season, probably. Three catches for 30 yards. So I expect the Cardinals to get back to where they were previously as the as one of the top offenses in the NFL. Last week they scored 31 but didn't do it in a win. So I think this week they'll get back up into the mid-30s and actually have a chance to win this game. I'm going to pick them. I think it'll be close. But with a banged-up Tredavious White in the Bills' secondary and DeAndre Hopkins ready to dominate once again as maybe the NFL's best receiver, I'm going to pick them. And they will move to 6-3, and three, a to me, a surefire playoff team, one of the best teams in the NFC. I thought they'd be close. I didn't think that they would make the playoffs this year. I thought maybe another year and they'd be there, but they're a year ahead of schedule. All right, Seattle at the Rams, the 6-2 and two Seahawks and the 5-3 and three Rams. Divisional game on Fox should be a really fun one. I think it's NFL's game, with, uh, America's game of the week this week on Fox. And I expect to see a pretty high-scoring game. And the main reason is because Seattle's defense, and I, I don't want to, I don't want to uh, understate this. Seattle's defense is a sheer mess. It is so awful. It is one of the worst defenses, probably that we're going to have in NFL history when it's all said and done. I'm going to give you this stat. You'll probably love this stat. I came up with it myself. The Seahawks allow 362 passing yards a game, which is by far last in the league. So it's 362 yards a game. The gap between 31st ranked Atlanta. And Seattle is 52 yards per game. Atlanta gives up 310 pass yards per game. Seattle gives 362. That is about the same gap, the 52 yards, as first-ranked Washington, who gives up 186, compared to 15th-ranked Buffalo. So the gap between Atlanta and Seattle from 31 to 32 is as big as the gap from 1 all the way to 15, Washington to Buffalo. I found that stat, and I was shocked when I saw it. Did the math myself. It is just crazy how how bad that Seattle defense is, and, and they're just getting shredded despite the fact that they made upgrades in the back end of their defense this year. 
They got Quentin Dunbar. They traded for Jamal Adams, obviously. Gave up a, a King's Ransom for him. They have Shaquille Griffin, who's a pretty good corner. So I don't really know why it's so, they're so terrible back there, but they are. And it is historically awful in the back end of their defense. As I said, Josh Allen had the best game of his career last week, over 400 yards and three touchdowns. And the reason the Seahawks are 6-2 and two is because Russell Wilson's been doing it all on his own, finding his great receivers in Metcalf and, and Tyler Lockett. But it's really been all on Russ to go out there and dominate week after week. He's put up historic numbers. He's near the top of the MVP race. But he's struggled with turnovers at various times in, in some of these recent games. And I just think he's losing a little steam uh, for, in, in some ways. Can't do it all on his own every single week. So I expect the Rams just to continue to put the pressure on with their offense. Trying to rack up points against a Seahawks offense that's pretty good. So try to max them score for score. And as long as that very good Rams defense can continue to hold up just a little bit, keep Seattle under 40, I expect them to win. I'm going to pick the Rams to move to 6-3. and three. Final game I want to talk about, the 6-2 and two Baltimore Ravens at the 3-5 three, at three and five New England Patriots. This is the Sunday night game, 828 NBC. Last week was the get-back game for the Ravens. They beat Indianapolis as I predicted. My predictions haven't been great on the show so far. I think I've missed 5 out of the 10 games that I've picked, but I picked that one right. Lamar Jackson played much better than he did the previous week against Pittsburgh when he had four turnovers. And on the Patriots side of this, the Pats nearly lost to the Jets on Monday night. Uh, a game-winning field goal by Nick Folk, and they had to overcome a 10-point deficit in the fourth quarter. It was truly embarrassing to almost lose to a team that's now 0-9 and on pace to be one of the worst teams in league history of the Jets. So the Pats just don't have enough on offense. Cam Newton does all he can, but they just don't have enough in terms of playmaking. The defense is decimated by... Guys opting out of the season, injuries, Stephon Gilmore might not play this week. So I'm just going to say that the, the Ravens are going to blow out the Patriots once again. They did it on a Sunday night game last year. It was really Lamar Jackson's coming out party, I think, as he went on to win MVP. And I expect a similar result this week. Ravens are going to blow through New England on Sunday night football. All right, that's the Scribe 5 for this week. We'll be right back with more Schwartz on Sports. This episode of Schwartz on Sports is brought to you by Invader Coffee. Invader Coffee is an ultra-premium, veteran-owned coffee company proudly delivering only the best coffee your hard-earned money can buy. They aim to only serve the highest quality organic, air-roasted coffee beans sourced from free trade farms all over the world. They keep things simple, the best coffee at an affordable price, in order to provide you with the value you deserve from your morning boost. 100% fair trade, 100% organic coffee beans, 100% air roasted, 100% money back guarantee. Visit invadercoffee.com and enter promo code BELLYUP at checkout to receive 15% off your order. Hey everybody, welcome back to Schwartz on Sports here on the Belly Up Sports Podcast Network. I am so excited to be joined by Jackson Roberts. He will be the first ever guest on the show. Jackson is a sports anchor and reporter at KVRR, the Fox affiliate in Fargo, North Dakota. He covers high school sports, pro sports, college sports in the North Dakota and Minnesota areas. And he graduated from Ithaca College and the Park School of Communications, which is the school that I am currently attending as a sophomore. So how are you, Jackson? Doing well, buddy. How are you? Good, good. All right, so let's begin with the NFL. And I want to start with the team that you mostly cover out in North Dakota with the Vikings. They have not played too well this season. A three and five. It was a really rough start. They've won two straight. What do you think's changed in the last two weeks? And, and really, why did they struggle so much the first month and a half of the year? The biggest thing that's changed for them is having Dalvin Cook back. Uh, their offense essentially runs through him. He's the 
leading rusher in the league right now. I mean, there's really just no other way to put it. I mean, he breaks tackles so well. These last two games, um, you know, starting with the one against the Packers, which was a wild upset in the minds of so many, considering where Green Bay is and where Minnesota is in the division, it essentially just started with how Mike Zimmer was able to shape a game plan around Cook. And then, of course, this last week as well against the Lions when they won their game. So I think that has really been behind the surge the last two weeks. And I think it's given them a little bit of life. The first couple weeks, you have to remember, Cook was on and off with some injuries. They had Alexander Madison. He's the backup running back in. And quite frankly, their defense was giving them problems, a lot of problems. But now they can kind of lean on their offense a little bit more. I think Kirk Cousins has been playing a little bit more consistently. And quite frankly, he's been using Adam Thielen well. But, you know, those are all kind of backdrops to the biggest positive that they have, and that's Dalvin Cook. Right. So I want to go back to Cousins. You just mentioned him. What do you think his future may be? I don't think Mike Zimmer really trusts him, but he did just sign an extension. So do you think he'll be there long term? It's a good question. I mean, it's tough to know at this point because, like you said, he has struggled. Um, I mean, you know, I, I if I were the Vikings, I would start to look at other possibilities, but you have to balance that with, again, as you mentioned, the contract extension, which was pretty hefty um, for Cousins himself. I think as of right now, he's the starter. And, you know, I listen to Mike Zimmer every single week on the press conferences, and he really hasn't shied away from any kind of confidence he's given in Cousins. And same with Gary Kubiak, um, who's also on the staff. I, I think for the foreseeable future, he's the guy unless he continues to trend downwards this year. I mean, I think we're going to have to see how the rest of this year plays out. It's dependent on that. And I think Cousins knows that. But I think as it stands right now, as presently constituted, he's the guy. Got it. So you're a New Yorker. So am I. We both love our New York teams. You're a Giants fan. I'm a Jets fan. What are your thoughts on Daniel Jones? Should they take a quarterback early in this draft? Like, what, what do you think? Is he a franchise quarterback or is he not? You know, it's so fascinating. I've been pondering this the last couple of days, and it's, it's such a great question. I don't even know that I know the answer to it fully yet. There's really only one team he's played well against in the league, and it's the team they beat yesterday, the Redskins. He's 4-0 again. He's won four uh, of the games. Four of the five games he's won in the NFL have come against the Redskins, which is kind of fascinating. But, I mean – I, I, I do see the value in letting him at least prove that he can be a franchise quarterback till the end of the season. But at the same time, you know, the turnovers have just been so costly and it's not really as much how many he has, which are going to be towards the top, unfortunately, and rookie quarterbacks. And we all know rookie quarterbacks are prone to turnovers. That's just not everybody's Patrick Mahomes or Lamar Jackson, but you know, it's really when they've come for him. It's been at costly times. So I think it's something you have to look into if you're the Giants. I wouldn't be opposed to it unless Jones has a wild second half of the season. I think they're probably going to look at the idea of taking another quarterback in the draft. Who that might be, that's going to be up for debate. I mean, I could see them possibly trading up if they're not already towards the top. I know your Jets are probably vying for that number one pick as it is, but oh, yeah. um, I mean – you know, we'll have to see what happens. Right. So in terms of the other New York team, what is your level of belief in Darnold? 
if the Jets get the number one pick, are you taking Trevor Lawrence? Because I watched the game last night, so did you. And I was hoping that they were going to actively tank. And they ended up losing the game barely. But still, I'm on the Trevor Lawrence train. They've got to draft him if he's available at number one. Yeah, I would agree. I think you have to take Lawrence. I mean, he's a generational talent. It looks to be. Um, you know, and, 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 and you know this as well as I do. It's not an easy second half of the season for the Jets in terms of who they're going to play. I mean, really the only team you have to worry about coming in and swooping that number one pick from you, um, you know, the Jaguars, that's it. And, and that's just because, you know, as we know, they're, they're starting a sixth rounder quarterback, which doesn't always uh, bode well, especially when you're one and seven. But, um, you know, I, I think if you're the Jets, you have to take Lawrence. I mean, and, and think of it this way. You can, you can get something for Darnold if you were to trade him. Right. Now, I know you've seen a lot of Trey Lance, the North Dakota State quarterback. Most people on this side of the country probably haven't seen him to the extent you have living in North Dakota. What is he like? What's his ceiling? What might we get from him in the professional level? Yeah, so this guy is probably going to go top five in the draft. You will probably most likely see him, according to Mel Kuyper, who has him in the top 10. I think that's generous as it is. You know, I, I think he'll go right behind Fields and Lawrence, and with good reason. I mean, he was a redshirt freshman last year. We kind of knew the job was going to be his here in the uh, inner circle. But when you throw – 24 touchdowns and not a single interception to go along with just around uh, just over 4,000 yards, I should say. That's pretty impressive. And you don't always see a lot of red shirts do that, even at the FCS level. Um, I wouldn't worry about that if you're a fan that doesn't really know Trey Lance. I mean, Carson Wentz has come from the FCS and really the only thing that's bothered him before this year, I should say, is the injury bug. He was a front runner in 2017 to win the MVP, as we know. And he came from North Dakota State. Um, you know, some, some all-time greats have come from here. But, you know, back to your original question, I think Trey Lance, he kind of has a little bit of Lamar Jackson in him. He's very versatile. He can run the ball very well. Um, he is working on his passing game a little bit more. But, again, 24 touchdowns tells you all you need to know. Um, he's very careful with it. And I think he'll fit into pretty much any system. So I could expect a team that takes him to maybe not know as much about him, but – you know, they'll get excited. Do you think he's a long-term project or is he somebody that could really dominate the NFL from the very start of his tenure here? Yeah, that's a good question. I would say it might take him a couple games to get into a rhythm uh, just because, you know, he was a tad shaky when he first started last year. Um, and that, you know, as we know, that can happen to any quarterback, but I think he'll hit the ground running relatively quickly. Okay. Now, you follow NDSU, obviously. They're the best team in the FCS. They're in the middle of this crazy dynasty, eight titles and since 2011. It's really something uh, to, to really be impressed with. Hasn't been that long that you've been in North Dakota, but what has it been like in the time you've been there to be around that historic program and to cover them and, and follow them? Go actually down to the championship game. I know you went down to Texas to do that. What has it been like to follow that program? Yeah, that was something the game you're referring to in Frisco, Texas, the FCS championship game between them and James Madison. I mean, I'm going to say, Noah, it's a really, it's, it's something cool to be witnessing. You don't always get to be around a program this great. I mean, we've had ESPN come to the area a couple times. Game day has been to Fargo twice. I mean, and, and with good reason. I mean, you mentioned it, eight titles in the last nine years. <laughs> 
that's pretty impressive. I mean, they are just run so well and they don't lose a beat if you think about it. And it's just, it's not something you always get to see in person. It's one of those things you usually witness from afar, but it is special to, you know, be not a part of it, but right on the outside looking directly in. Okay. I want to move over to the baseball side of it. How happy are you that Steve Cohen is buying the New York Mets? <laughs> it's everything. And I think one of the fascinating things about it this year, in addition to just, first of all, setting aside the fact that the owner is on Twitter asking for fan advice, which I just loved right away. And I'm sure Me too. You, too. Um, you know, I, I think it's amazing. In addition to everything he brings, his $14 billion, he brings something that no other owner in the league does this year. And that's no losses from the previous year. If you think about it, every single owner lost something last year with the pandemic ridden season. So, you know, automatically they're at a disadvantage. What does that mean? It means you might be getting some free agents for 60 to 80 cents on the dollar. There's going to be some payroll cutting and, Enter Steve Cohen, a guy who didn't lose anything, who's already the richest owner in the league. I think it all lines up perfectly. I think he's already taken a great step by hiring Sandy Alderson. We know how instrumental he was to, um, to the run the Mets had a couple of years ago. I'm just so excited. I'm over the moon. I never thought the day would come at first, but, you know, here we are. Yeah, I've been saying it almost feels like this cloud has just been taken away from us, this dark cloud above us, and all of a sudden you can look up and see the heavens and everything. It's just so great. If you are the incoming general manager, uh, Sandy obviously has to hire some people to run the baseball operations. What would, what would be the moves you would make? Would be, there be any specific trades? Lindor, maybe, Arenado? Which free agents would you look to acquire? Yeah, you know, Arenado is an interesting one. I think the Mets are kind of still looking for that long-term third baseman. They shuffle some guys around, as we know, um, you know with J.D. Davis there and, 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 you know, a couple of other guys in and out of the lineup. I think if there are really two that I'd like to have. Well, I mean, obviously center fielders, you know, a big priority for us. I think that's one of the big pieces we're missing. So George Springer is someone I'd love to have if you can get him. If not, I'm sure, you know, I trust the guys in the front office to figure something out. But there are two really, and it's JT Romuto and Trevor Bauer. I would like to have a long-term catcher because it's so important defensively and it's a position the Mets have really suffered at for a while um you know I I really can't remember the last consistent bona fide defensive catcher they've had really since they had Ramon Castro a while yeah really uh, Darno Ramos neither of those guys were very good behind the plate at all exactly yeah and and you know look those guys can hit credit to them I mean maybe, maybe less Darno but you know the, a lot of these guys they're good offensively but the problem is you know the Mets really haven't been able to hold runners on base and I think that's you know been one of the um that's been one of the problems that kind of goes under the rug a little bit that not many people think about as much. So I think Real Muto is great defensively and he's also, you know, he can swing the bat well, as we know. Um, and you get Bauer, you put him right behind DeGrom. I mean, forget about it. One, two, that's amazing. We know they need some starting pitching depth. Um, not sure how I feel about Mats at this point. I mean, very up and down, great end of last season, but this past season, I mean, kind of showed you some, issues again not sure how Syndergaard is going to be coming back from the injury so we'll see but you know essentially in short I'd say Bauer and Real Muto and Springer if you can get them those are my top three got it 
Now, what do you think of the various rule changes that we saw in baseball through the past short season? I wasn't crazy about the DH at first just because I'm more of a purist. And I thought, you know, if you got to earn your stripes on both sides of the field. But I've kind of come around to it. I'm not going to lie. And it's, it's different seeing something in practice than on paper. And I mean, also, I'm sure we can appreciate this. It might prevent us from having to force Dom Smith out of the lineup. You know, if we can find a role for him in the order and maybe, you know, utilize him that way, that's probably better rather than trying to play him out of position in left field, which hasn't really worked out too well, you know, in the long haul. Um, I like the DH rule now. Um, I think that, you know, the extra inning rule, I'm not really a fan of. I'm with you on that. I think that's, I think that kind of tampers with the fabric of the game. It's a little bit different. It's kind of like the three batter minimum, if you ask me. Yeah, I'm I hated not, that one. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not crazy about that one. Just because it, it shakes up the game. It's completely different. You know, it's a fundamental change to the game. That's kind of where I draw the lines. The difference between that and something like what the MLB instituted a couple of years ago where you can just intentionally walk a guy by raising your hand. That's not really a huge change to the game. That is essentially where I draw the line. So for those reasons, DH I'm fine with, but the other two, not on board. Yeah, in terms of the three batter minimum, I always think of Jerry Blevins, the great Met left-hander from a few years ago. He's basically eliminated from having any role on a major league team because he only faced left-handers, and now that's really taken out of the game. I want to switch over, switch gears to the Timberwolves because they have the number one pick in the draft next week. What would you do if you were running that front office with Hersan Rosas? But what do you think they actually will do? Because I've heard rumors about James Wiseman. That one doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Lamelo Ball is an option. So what would you do, and what do you think they actually will end up doing with that number one pick? Well, I think they're actually still trying to figure it out. I mean, there are a lot of question marks. I mean, but it, it, essentially, you know, you have to base this decision based off of what you've seen from the Timberwolves the last couple seasons, which, I mean, to be quite honest with you, I mean, what don't they need? I mean, um, I, I think um, I, I think they could benefit from having another guard, but, you know, D'Lo, he loves it here, and quite frankly, he's shown some promise. But, I mean, I'm not really sure what they're going to do. I think it's just a mystery at this point. I think they're still – just from the sense I've gotten, they're still trying to figure it out. I mean, the guys you mentioned are certainly on the table. But, uh, you know, the good news here is that time's on their side. It's not like the clock is ticking right now. Um, so that's Do you think there's a chance they actually trade the pick for an established player, or do you think they're going to use it on a rookie? I think they'd rather um, kind of rebuild through the draft picks. Okay. Um, I, I Maybe rebuild might not be the best word. I mean, they gotta they got to find some pieces. But at the end of the day – Look, you know, Towns is great when he's on. I think D'Lo, I mean, I remember him as a net guy. Um, I, I know what he can bring to the table. I think, I mean, look, there's a chance. I, I think there are a lot of different possibilities at this point for the Timberwolves. What, what's, your, what's your thought going into this year with Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving? Do they really have a championship that's, within, that's in their sights? If Kyrie can just stay out of the way and not cause any distractions, possibly. Keyword, possibly. But, I mean, I, I like the Steve Nash hire. I think, I think he's a great basketball mind. Um, you know, we both know that, you know, Durant and Irving and, and other big stars have a say in who comes in as head coach. That's just the nature of the game. Players have much more of a voice than they used to. 
I think they can, but I think they got to stay healthy. That's kind of been their Achilles heel the last couple of years. I mean, um, with Durant, that exactly, and, and Kyrie, um, you know, that along with a little bit of a headache that he's caused, and that's something that's been a problem on pretty much every single team he's been on. And I had some concerns coming in, but, you know, when he gets out there and when those two are gelling, which is hopefully soon for my sake, every other fan's sake, I would say, you know, they can, they can vie for it. Do you think they should trade some of their younger guys, whether it be Dinwiddie, Jared Allen, Levert, and get an established star or use that depth to their advantage next season once the year tips off? I think I would stick with the lineup that you have because it's worked. And I mean, quite frankly, I mean, they exceeded expectations uh, just a year ago when they were decimated by injuries. I mean, you know, you went to the playoffs. Of course, you came up short, though. I mean, that was going to that was going to happen based on who they faced. But I mean, I think if if it's worked and you're only bringing in some more ammunition in the form of guys coming back from injuries, I would continue to just roll with what you have. I could see them maybe going out and signing somebody else. But for now, you know, when a lot of these guys have shown that they're quality players and can essentially contribute in some way, shape or form and make a difference, I'm for it. Okay. Uh, Last question, just a personal question for you. How did Ithaca College prepare you for the job you have now and to work in sports media in general? Because I love, I've loved my experience so far. It stinks that the semester was put virtual, but when I'm there, it's great. What did you think of your experience at IC? Yeah, I mean, like you, I, I have a lot of opportunities there. Um, you know, got to do my own radio show like you're doing and got to be a part of TV in a lot of different areas. Kind of just gave me the opportunity to spread my wings and grow and, and try a bunch of new positions and essentially figure out what it is that I'm good at and that I can pursue, um, you know, Park, it's amazing. I mean, you can't say enough good things about it. I mean, everybody there's willing to help you. And the great thing is that really is unmatched about it and probably separates it from any other school in the pack as you can get experience from day one. And that's probably what I love the most about it. Awesome. So great having you on Jackson. Thanks for coming on the show. It was the first, your first ever guest. So you always have that honor. Appreciate you coming on today. Yeah, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. We'll talk Rockets, and I'll give my number one performer of the week when we return. This episode of Schwartz on Sports is brought to you by Hoff and Pepper Hot Sauce. Handcrafted with farm-fresh jalapenos and habaneros, Hoff's original Hoff sauce has gone on to win numerous awards and gain international recognition. Hoff and Pepper always strives to create sauces and seasonings that enhance flavors with balanced heat profiles. Every one of their handmade products is manufactured in Chattanooga, Tennessee, and is naturally vegan and gluten-free. Shop today at hoffandpepper.com, and when you enter promo code BELLYUP at checkout, you'll save 10% off your purchase welcome back to schwartz on sports have you ever heard the saying houston we have a problem well i think for the rockets right now it's houston we have a lot of problems and there's not a clear way for how we should solve them the houston rockets are a team in transition they've got a new coach this year in steven silas a new general manager this year in Raphael stone And so they desperately needed to start anew after all the playoff uh, failures of the last few years under Daryl Morey and Mike D'Antoni. Both those guys are gone. They're starting over with Harden and with Westbrook 
and the role players they have, they're going to make a, try to make another run or two at a championship and see if they can win one. That's what we all thought going into the offseason following the bubble. But I think now it's a lot less clear what their future is based on some of the rumors we heard last night. So last night around dinner time, we heard from a report from The Athletic that Russell Westbrook wants a trade. Now, Russ has been there for the last year, and he said that it wasn't a clear fit in Houston. That team has a lack of accountability, a lack of leadership, and he wants to go back to a place where he can have the uh, floor general role as the main ball handler like he had when he was in Oklahoma City all those years. That's what he wants. And then we heard that James Harden, the obviously all-time great superstar, eight years in Houston now, hasn't been answering calls or text messages, communicating in any way with the new coach and the person in the front office. He just hasn't wanted to reach out at all, which is surprising because I think those guys took the jobs knowing that James would be there for the long haul, but I guess he, he didn't want to reach out. We then heard that he's all committed for the season. I don't know why he wasn't responding, but that's a bad sign when your best player doesn't want to talk to you. Then we heard a little while after that that P.J. Tucker, the fantastic role player that they have, the great defender and corner three-point shooter, the six-foot-six micro-ball center, is irate, quote, irate, over his contract situation. He didn't get an extension last year. Then we find out that Eric Gordon, their former sixth man of the year and a still terrific scorer, signed a recent extension, is upset about his role. So that's not good. Then we find out that Daniel House, who you may remember the big incident in the bubble where he let some woman into his hotel room and didn't play at the end of the playoffs because of it, upset about his role. And he was a guy that the Rockets developed, brought him up from the G League, and turned into a very good NBA player. He's upset about his role. Austin Rivers, not happy either. Apparently, uh, Harden, he got into an incident with Harden last year where Harden missed a free throw and Rivers was standing up near the bench cheering him on. And I guess Harden blamed him for missing that free throw because he felt that Rivers was distracting him by the bench area. And I guess that was sort of an issue. I'm not sure, but either way, he says he's not happy. That's not good. And then we find out that Trevor Ariza, the former Rocket, he was there for a long time, was let go after the 2018 season. He was upset, never got an apology after being let go, having to sign with Phoenix. He's been with a couple other teams since then. And I always thought it was a huge mistake that the Rockets didn't bring him back after 2018. They've never been able to fully replace his shooting and perimeter defense. And they still miss him a few years later. But I guess all those guys now are upset about something. Westbrook wants out. Harden's upset, Tucker's upset, Gordon House, Rivers, and Ariza all upset. It's a mess. It's problematic and a major major issues going on with the Rockets. So now the question is, well, what do you what do you do from here? You've got a new coach and a new, and a new person running your basketball operations. What do you do? Well, I think there's a few different options. I think the first thing is to talk about blowing it up. And I wouldn't do that. I always found that under Mike D'Antoni, this team always played hard for each other. They always cared about defense, especially the role players. Uh, it was always a, a very star-heavy offense, obviously, where Harden had a ton of isolations, and Chris Paul, when he was there for the two years, had the ball a lot, and Westbrook had the ball a lot this year. But they always shared the ball. Whenever guys were open, they would kick it out. They had Those guys wrecked up a ton of assists. The role players always were uh, played well in the, in the small jobs that they had to defend, to shoot threes, to run the floor hard, to give effort. I always found that, that this team played for each other and seemed like a cohesive 
friendly bunch, and I guess it just wasn't always that way, but that's how it seemed on the floor. So I, I don't I don't think it's a good idea to, to blow it up. I just think you can you can at some point remake that magic that you once had. So blowing it up and trading Westbrook to me is a bad idea. Um, he, he's not going to net you much in, in a inner trade. Neither is Harden. Neither is Tucker. Neither is Gordon. It's just you're not going to get many first round picks or, or young players back. I don't think, and I, it's just not worth it for me to blow it up so quickly. The next option would be just I guess trade Westbrook and let Harden be the sol- solo star which is, a, to me, a terrible idea. They tried that in 2017, D'Antoni's first year. That was the year Gordon won six-man. And they did get a top-four seed in the West, and they lost in the second round. That memorable game six where Harden had 10 points and just was a bad look for him that series uh, against San Antonio. I wouldn't go with that route again. I just don't think having one star in today's NBA bodes well, especially when it's a guy like Harden who seems to wear down a little bit after the season goes on for a long time. I just wouldn't do that. And then the other option, and this is the one I would go with, is just to bring everybody back. And if I was Steven Silas, the coach today, I would call Harden and call Westbrook and say, hey guys, I know you're close friends. You've been friends for a decade. Try and limit the tension between you two. Clearly there was some, I guess. And then try and talk it out with your teammates. Try and get on board with them, get on the same page. And let's try to bring one more run at this to win a championship with you guys. And I think if you do that, that's the best way forward because trading these guys isn't going to net you much. You're not going to be able to go through a quick rebuild. They don't have a lot of first-round picks that they can um, they can use that they have on their own. Or And I don't really think they can trade for many. It's just I don't think the guys they have are going to net you many. So I would just run it back. And if you look at their recent history, they nearly won the championship in 2018. That was only two years ago when they had Chris Paul. They were tied with Golden State. 2-2 two two in the conference semifinals in 2019. They lost that series. And then this year didn't go well with Russ Hurt in the playoffs. They lost to the Lakers. But they've had a ton of success. They've won playoff series. They've been to the conference finals. This is a team that has been as successful as almost any team in the NBA the last five years. And to me, there's just no reason, if it doesn't help you to move forward and rebuild and try and put together a new contender, just try one more championship run. I feel like it's a hard choice. I get the chemistry is clearly broken there, but I think it's fixable. I've seen them play with effort, play with energy in the past. I think they can do that again. So if I were the Rockets, I would run it back one more time. I would play with Harden and Westbrook and see if you can just make one more run at it because there's not a clear way forward, but I think the best way forward is to try and win one more championship or make one more run at a championship while you still have these guys in their prime. All right, on to my number one performer for the week. This one's obvious to me. The MLB awards have been released all week tonight, or and tonight the MVP will be released. But last night was the Cy Young Award winner, and we found out that Shane Bieber and Trevor Bauer won the Cy Young Awards. Both guys had magnificent seasons. Each each led their individual league in ERA. Uh, Bieber was at one six, and Bauer was right near one seven. Terrific seasons. Each guy. Uh, had triple-digit strikeouts. Bauer had just about 100. Bieber had even more than that, led baseball in strikeouts. And Bieber was a, was a unanimous winner, was the pitching triple crown winner this year, led the league in wins. It was really a spectacular season for both guys. And they have uncertain futures, I think. Bauer is a free agent, will probably sign elsewhere and leave Cincinnati. Bieber plays on a competitive Indians team that's likely to trade its best player, Francisco Lindor. So uncertain futures for both guys, but... 
All I know is that their 2020s, the short season that we had, these two were the two best pitchers and were spectacular and deserved the Cy Young Award. All right, so that's going to do it for me here on Schwartz on Sports Episode 3. It was so great to interview Jackson Roberts. Fun to talk some NFL, fun to talk some NBA. A lot of sports going on, as I said in the open. We got the Masters, we got free agency, uh, we've got Major League Baseball offseason. There's a lot going on, and I'll get into it all as these next few weeks come, and I'll do it in my next shows. So make sure to tune into the next one. Uh, make sure to give me a follow on, on Instagram, on Twitter. And I appreciate everybody tuning in today, and I hope everyone has a good weekend.